Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. And I think we've got a very well-planned-out show for you today. Uh, I I would agree, except for the two beers and one and a half glasses of wine I've already had. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, I I was I, I came up with like a new segment idea. Uh, I was okay. talking to like different people who listen to our show. I don't know if it was like the Tom Woods bump or the you know we've been on we've been on uh, Peaceful Treason and Cork and Java, mm-hmm. and I've been on a couple of other shows, and then coming up, I think I'm on Homesteads and Homeschools and. For whatever reason, we've gotten some bumps in our numbers and some more interaction on Twitter, which is nice. And I thought about this new segment maybe that we would do where each episode we just do kind of a brief review of a grape and and maybe like a little bit of history of it or something. And I proposed that to everybody on Twitter and they were like, yeah, that actually would be pretty nice. And we're not going to do any of the ones that they requested because I I had already (laughs) researched – Malbec, so we'll be doing Malbec today, okay. which brings me to the wine that I'm sipping on. All right. Uh, I have a red blend that is, uh, I got it while I was out last weekend harvesting, which is why we didn't record last weekend, and um, mm-hmm. I harvested with Rowdy Bolin of Bolin Family Vineyards. They used to be part of Trilogy Vineyard, and they had a wine called Relentless, in, that was the, their 2015 one won silver in their class, so it's it's a award winning wine. Uh, it's thirteen point three seven percent alcohol by volume. It's fifty seven percent merlot, forty three percent malbec. Uh, the color or the look, it's a deep garnet. It has nice leg development. Um, it's a little bit boozy smelling at first, mm-hmm. but kind of that sort of goes away after you've poured the glass for a few minutes, and then you get a lot of ripe cherry notes, uh, a little bit of uh, jamminess to it, and some vanilla, maybe a little bit of leather um, in in the smell. But then once the taste is very nice, full-bodied wine, good acidity, light tannins, uh, really hot, but not like in a bad way. It's just got, it's got a nice, a mm-hmm. nice heat to it. Uh, for sure, there's some leather and baking spice on the finish, uh, very good, very, very good wine, I think. And um, it's also kind of nice because uh, Rowdy gave it to me. And, well, Rowdy's wife gave it to me. And uh, it was really fun being out there harvesting with them. And this kind of makes it makes it more fun that I... that Yeah, it's, it's even Yeah, better. exactly. Yeah. So what are you sipping on tonight? So I have a new wine for mm-hmm. us in... By new, I mean it's Australian. Mm. So I have the Innocent Bystander Pinot Gris 2017. It's 100% Pinot Grigio, aged 85% uh, stainless steel, 15% new oak. Mm. Now, personally, I don't think the new oak is doing anything for okay. it. Um, it's very pale looking in color, um, like very light, like, uh, you know, like those like really blonde headed kids that aren't white haired, but like that classic blonde. yeah yeah like platinum like almost, this is yeah. what my yeah well a little less okay. than that but like this is what my like it reminds me of my sister's hair color when she was really oh, young. okay um doesn't have a whole lot of a smell and for me my wife sipped it she said oh it's got like a pear taste to it um to me it's very light it's sweet with acidity 
which is weird because it's a grigio. Yeah. So like you wouldn't expect sweet. Now, so I got this from the International Wine Club. Um, I had been kind of wondering when my third quarter or third shipment would be because uh, my wife got me a year of it. Um, so I was waiting for my third shipment. Third shipment was from Australia. So the first wine I got, like I don't even remember what it was um, type-wise. Oh, it was a Shiraz. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Shiraz. Pretty good. Nothing to write home about, but nothing bad. Okay. The Cabernet Sauvignon was the worst Cabernet I've ever had. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, it was it was so interesting. Like I drank the whole bottle. Um, but it was like rough and like aggressive, but not in like a not in a cheap wine way. Uh-huh. Like it was so odd. Like apparently it was aged eighteen months in oak. Like maybe that had something to do with it. Like it was like it had like a bite to it. My wife couldn't even take a sip of it. Like it it was just so weird. I'm so mad I drank the whole thing. Um, cause I wanted to review it on the show to try to give people a better idea of it, but I also wanted you to get a, a, a bottle of it because it was so bizarre. Huh. Um, so it's brothers and that was the brothers in arm 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, most of the international wine club wines, it's kind of like you can only get them from them. So it's one of those, I might get like a bottle or I might, or like, I actually might order a bottle or two of it to just kind of set aside to see if it ages better. Because maybe it was too young. Okay. You know, what year was? What like, year did you said? Twenty sixteen. Um, twenty sixteen. Huh. Yeah, but it's Australian. Okay. Yeah, so, I don't know. I'm not sure like, what to expect about. I don't know what to expect when it yeah. comes to Australian cabsops. I'm not really sure what to expect with most Australians. Yeah. Stuff, but like the the Syrah was definitely the the highlight of the wines. Like this is not a bad Grigio, but it, it you know, um, nothing big to write home about. Like when. It's apparently sold out on the wine club, huh. which I've not seen before, but like, you know, hey, that happens. Yeah. But like, you know, nothing, nothing to write home about. Screw bottle cap. Um, just, a, it's a okay, you know, Grigio. Like I haven't had a, a Grigio in a while or Grease, you know, however the, however you want to pronounce yeah. it. Um, but well, I mean, sometimes it is Grigio, sometimes it's Grease. So I think, I think if it's in France, it's Grease. And if it's in Italy, it's Grigio. Um, well, if it's in Australia, it's Greece. Yeah, I, I, don't uh, know. yeah. I mean, I guess is they would probably just decide. Yeah. They, I, don't, I, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> but I think that it's the same grape, but different names. Yeah, you know, it's like it's got in the descriptions for them, crisp. Yeah, crisps. Um, complex, not really. Bone dry and Moorish with tangy lemon sorbet finish. Um, I don't know what bone dry means in Moorish. But, you know, like if, if I was drinking like a red, like a really acidic red, I'd be like, yeah, this is bone dry. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, some, you know, sometimes with it. dryness, one thing for me is that uh, if it's very, very fruity, sometimes it's hard to tell that it's dry because mm-hmm. fruity makes mm-hmm. you think of sweet and, but it, but it's yeah. not sweet. It's not sugary. So when I was actually out with Rowdy, he, we tasted some of his wines that they haven't released yet. And we had mm-hmm. a a dry muscat and a mm-hmm. tr- like kind of a more traditional sweet muscat, and it was so interesting to see the difference because the dry muscat did have a lot of fruit flavor in it, but it was clearly dry. Mm-hmm. But at first, it's kind of going like, "Well, how dry is this? Is this off dry or not?" Because it did have these fruit flavors, and then when you tasted the sweet, you were like, "Oh, yeah, okay, that's definitely that's definitely yeah. dry." 
And like the that makes yeah sense. The, the sweet the sweet muscat was just it was so I actually thought it was fine. I, my my palate is really opened up to sweet stuff. Like it used to be that I wouldn't drink it at all, and now it's kind of like mm-hmm. oh I kind of see what's going on here, and I appreciate it a little bit more. Well, I think I think the thing with sweet is there, there's two things to look at with sweet. Mm-hmm. Like if you eat like a mango yeah. and it's super sweet, there are the mangoes that have like because I I don't really care for mango, but I don't mind it as a mid-level flavor Mm -hmm. and things so like you get a mango and sometimes they're just sickly sweet and you're like for me it's like this is garbage right then there's other times where it's like no there's mango with sweetness right so i think that's one of the things that like when you have like the um the wine that your wife likes oh yeah the cohor which we're we're gonna mention that yeah yeah so like cohor and like you know gewurztaminer yeah like some of the cheap gewurztaminers they're just sickly yeah. sweet. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it others, literally tastes like rotten fruit. Yeah, others are sweet, but then they have heavy sweet fruit elements. Mm-hmm. So it's like that double whammy, but you're like, wait, there's some complexity here. There's the sugar sweet, but this isn't like dirt sweet. <laughs> like, yeah. Dirt sweet is obviously not a great description, but it's so sweet that it's disgusting. Yeah. Well, they, they definitely, I think, did a good – whoever the winemaker is for uh, Bowen Family – vineyards is they they definitely did a mm-hmm. good job with making a a good sweet muscat that was not nauseatingly sweet it, it was refreshing which was nice uh i w- i preferred the dry one obviously and um mm-hmm. but for anybody who's going to be over in the lubbock area they've got a new tasting room opening up soon tasting anarchy has signed the wall where i have i've Ooh. i as tasting anarchy has signed the wall so it's it's there but it's going to be covered by drywall but uh well, that's fun. It, it is fun. I personally think because it's like a, I don't think, did I ever show you the rent, you know, so like, you know, the attics that have the pull down ladders? Yeah. Yeah. Did I show you that like all the people since like the eighties that have owned the house have signed their names? Oh, that's kind of cool. And mine. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. Like it kind of frustrates me because like the attic door is like not insulated and it's kind of crappy and I want to replace it. And most of them are now much shorter. Yeah. So I don't want to like wipe out these, you know, this fun history, but it's also kind of like, uh, it's in the way and it's not really that useful to yeah. me. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's one of those things but, too, that like at some point somebody will tear it down and they'll see it's, it'll say Jake from tasting anarchy, you know, yeah. uh, August, 2019. And they'll be like, Oh, well, this is kind of cool. But I mean, everybody that was there harvesting signed it, but it was not, not a large group. That, but that's still like, I mean, like a, as you know, it is my great regret that I was not able to be out there because that seemed mm-hmm. like such a good and fun thing for somebody who, for someone who had such a, a bad time, you know, to be yeah. able to get some free help um, to try to put something together. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to continue talking to Rowdy and be able to purchase to kind of help offset the costs, some of the the field blends, if he actually is able to get something produced. Oh, he 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 will. They're gonna do they're gonna do a field blend uh, Merlot Malbec, which is gonna be probably similar to this this uh, this uh, trilogy uh, Relentless. Um, and actually, if they and that's I, I I'm gonna touch on this, but I'm not gonna go too deep into it. They actually were mm-hmm. not allowed to use the Relentless name anymore. They got sued by oh. a California producer who had uh, trademarked it. And, uh, which is interesting is, is route. This is, you know, one of the things 
you know, back to our tagline, uh, how much government is in your drink. One of the things that Rowdy and his family have had to learn when kind of branching out into their own now that they're not part of Trilogy anymore is, um, well, and Trilogy had to learn this too, is how complicated the trademark system is. And Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you you know, you and I kind of have a little bit of a difference when it comes to trademark, but in my opinion, you can't trademark a word because it's a word. So you would be able to trademark like a style of the word or like a stylization of it or some sort of symbol or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, it, you know, like I, I have a I have a hard time defending my own personal mm-hmm. opinion on like Walt Disney's signature. Yeah, yeah. That is, you know, it wasn't his signature. That was actually something he manufactured for the look. Yeah. But still, like all that time and effort into that specific thing – for branding purposes. Right. I don't agree that he's able to defend it because personally, like, oh, I flourished the eye and you didn't, and then is it too much or too yeah, little? Yeah, you know, yeah, and then yeah. There's, well, there's like, a like lot you of said, we're, we're not going to yeah, get we're, into it. But, yeah, so they, they end up they end up getting a cease and desist on, on the Relentless name. So that, that's one of the cool things about drinking this is that not only was only um, only 325 cases of this produced, and it's an, a silver medal award winner – Mm-hmm. It is also had a cease and desist on it, so it's super hard to get. So I feel like my hipster's coming out a little bit. You won't be able to get this if you try to get this. <laughs> and well, it's it's like the wine I have. Supposedly, if they're the only importers, yeah, and it's sold out. Unless you're an Australian listener, which hello Australia, right? Um, like you know, it, it's very hard to get. Now, I have a quick shout mm-hmm. out. So because I haven't been able to respond to the email we specifically got hey andrew there isn't a meetup locally that i know of i will email you back before the end of the week so you'll have gotten a response from me before you hear this but hey yes i am the one in virginia (laughs) (laughs) um uh you know not virginia beach but norfolk but you know that's not really relevant there um so yes definitely we'll get back to you i'm so sorry for the delay there um but yeah so but yeah that's kind of my thing with like you know the idea with what i want to do with my life in general is like it's so frustrating to me that you get to go and have these show-based adventures Mm -hmm. and I can't be like, hey, blah, 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 winery. I don't have to work, and I don't want to be paid. I just would like to observe how it's yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if that means that you need somebody for five hours after that to scrub buckets, I'll scrub the buckets. I just want to see how it's done. And I've been listening to a lot of, like, you know, uh, real estate-based podcasts, mm-hmm. And a lot of the things they say is like, you know, when you reach out to somebody to say, hey, I'm interested in like a mentorship or something, if you're not providing value to that person, like, hey, my name's Jake, I've built 300 websites, I can build you a website and I, here's the here's why I want to build you a website because of these issues with your current website. Yeah. You're providing them value, whereas, hey... I'm a programmer. Tell me how I can help yeah. you. Well, that's the that's that's up to me to tell. Yeah, Victoria, Victoria <laughs> and I have kind of been yeah. have been sort of we've been going through like different courses and stuff like that about uh, where you can do that. And like one of the things that the guy that we are watching his videos says is that you always have to lead with the giving hand. And mm-hmm. it's like you have to if you expect value from somebody else, you have to give them value first. 
Correct. And and I was blown away by the hospitality of Rowdy and um, I I should look up his wife's name because I cannot for the life of me remember it and I feel kind of bad about it. Uh, <laughs> but they when I when I went there I was asked you know I I I actually felt like I was kind of useless because I didn't pick very much I only picked two and a half buckets mm-hmm. and uh, but when I when we were done tasting I came back over to take pictures in in the vineyard because for the uh, for our Instagram. And mm-hmm. she, you know, invited me in and I came in and washed my hands because I had like, I had grape juice all over my hands and forearms. And um, when I got in, she was like, hey, hey, do you want this? You know, they haven't released it yet. They Do you want one of our dry muscats? And uh, and I asked them if that was okay for me to tell people. <laughs> so, because I wasn't sure because it, I, I don't know if the label's approved yet or not, but it's pending approval. Uh, but she was, she was like, do you want one of the dry muscats? I was like, oh yeah, I'd love it. Like if you're giving it away, sure. Uh, and I and I offered to buy it, and she was like, "No, no, no. You know, it was nice for you to come out and help, and you came all the way from Dallas, and uh, you know, it's a it's a long drive, it's a five hour drive." And um, I was like, "Oh, well, that that's great." And she was like, "And you know what? We actually have some more of that Relentless uh, twenty fifteen, uh, and you said you weren't able to get that, but you got the twenty the twenty sixteen Merlot and Malbec." She's like, "And Rowdy was telling you if you just mix, you know, fifty percent of that and uh, or forty percent of one and sixty percent of the other, that's roughly the same." Because <laughs> Rowdy was like, "Yeah, you just pour them into a cup and just r- roughly mix it. And that's about what it is." And uh, and she's like, "Well, we have a couple bottles of that left. Do you want? Do you want those?" And I was like, "I will take anything you're giving away." And so she put <laughs> she put those three in the ba- in like a bag that has like four slots. And she was like, "Oh, well, you know, th- there's not enough, or this is not um, this is not balanced or whatever. I'll just fill it in with another one." And so she put another one in that was. Uh, I think it was another one of their Malbecs from 2016. So it was just like, it was very gracious, very generous of her. And, you know, and we, we talked for a little bit and she was trying to tell me where other wineries in the area were. Uh, but I mean, most of them were closed. It was a Sunday. So most of them mm-hmm. were closed. I went out for, uh, Saturday night and, and just, I stayed in like a really bizarre part of town. And, um, but it was, it was great. Uh, it, it, I'm surprised you didn't camp. I was going to, but I ended up getting in way too late and I couldn't find like I couldn't find just a campsite, oh, okay. so yeah, yeah. Well, I'm surprised like you weren't able to camp camp on like the winery property or something like that. Well, they probably would have let me. I just didn't ask. So yeah, I probably should have asked. But you know, in yeah. hindsight, yeah, you know, so, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's also like if it was like my winery or like Peaceful Treasons Winery, where it's like your your good friends. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, I can come in and take a shower. You know. Yeah. But where you're like, yeah, I'm here to help, and I'm gonna stay on your property. It's like, mm, yeah, and and I think, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think at this now, next yeah, next year, year for yeah, sure, that'd be yeah. Different. I, like I think now, normally they do they harvest by uh, tractor, and, and they have a machine mm-hmm. that does it. But I'll I'll go ahead, I'll read this out just to the uh, for the listeners because just to kind of put into perspective how much they lost due to hail, and that'll actually that'll bring me into. Um, the the review of grapes that we're going to start start doing okay, so yeah. um so rowdy he he tweeted this uh the other day and he said finished harvesting this morning the hail was so bad in 2016 and 2017 we averaged 2.75 tons per acre of merlot this year we harvested 150 pounds per acre i'm i'm mm-hmm. glad this year of grape growing is done and they had i think worse for the malbec uh, i think that I don't think they plant as much Malbec. That's what I was harvesting was Malbec when I was out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about. But, well, yeah. real quick, 
that's like a they they harvested like seven percent yeah of what they harvested previously yeah yeah it was it was it was rough that's a yeah. devastating loss. Yeah, and and he didn't get crop insurance this year, which which was uh, a bummer. But uh, you know he's he's going to come back next year. There, mm-hmm. a lot of their other grapes that are new that haven't haven't started producing yet are looking really good too. He sh- his uh, his daughter yeah. is doing a four uh, H project uh, mm-hmm. with. Um, it, they're making a rosé out of it, and I I cannot. I think one of them Similion, but I can't remember what the other one is. Uh, but it, she's doing that, and then they have Tanat going in over by the tasting room. So yeah, I thought I thought she was doing Tanat, but um, I I don't think you had fully yeah. you were fully sure. When no, you last I think his wife it. put in Tanat over by the tasting room. Movedre, that's what she's doing. Uh, yes, Movedre. Yeah. So yeah. His, his daughter's doing like a small a small amount of Movedre, and um, what did I just say? The other one was. Um, so Tanat and Similian? So, no, Similian and Movedre is going to be their. It's going to be the rosé. No, no, no. I'm, you you just said the one you had only named three yeah, grapes. Yeah. So I was just yeah, saying. Yeah. So, so Similian, Tanat, and Movedre. So Movedre and Similian, I think, are going to be their red their, or their uh, their rosé, and then the Tanat's going to make you know that that very classic Tanat, deep red, aggressive, uh, mm-hmm. and it looks really nice. It looks like it's doing real well. So. I'm really happy about that. And then there's some, we're going to get, we're not going to get into it now because I might have some guests who are going to be able to talk about this better, but there's like, there's interesting challenges in the area, especially since there's cotton everywhere around there. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. stuff they spray on cotton is not great for grapes. And mm. um, so there's some, there's some interesting stuff and, and maybe we'll eventually get into how would the free market uh, settle this type of issue when you're, when you're open spraying a plant and then it damages your neighbor's crops. But we will, we'll save. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. We'll save that though for another episode. And cause I, mm-hmm. I might have some uh, guests who have been like greatly, greatly impacted by that, uh, but they're in the works. So I don't want to, I don't want to promise okay. them yet, but so let's go ahead and get, yeah, get yeah. into the history of, of Malbec real quick, or it's yeah. just kind of a general overview of Malbec. A refreshing of your. Yeah, knowledge. exactly. So, uh, Malbec is actually really recently popular in the U.S. Uh, it's, which is weird because I think of it as being kind of one of the standards, um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, widely known to people, uh, and they don't really think of it as being new because it's pretty much in most restaurants nowadays. You can at least get something from Argentina that's a Malbec usually, at, especially if it's a nicer restaurant. But if you went back uh, 15 or 20 years, none of this would exist in restaurants and would probably not even exist at like Total Wine and stuff. It was... Very difficult to come by back then. Uh, mm. And the reason for it, I'll come to later. But uh, as far as the history of the grape goes, Malbec is a French grape. Uh, primarily, it was used in blending in Bordeaux. Uh, it's also from the Cahors region of France, where they do oh. where they do straight uh, Malbec. In Bordeaux, they just they use it for blending. But in the Cahors region of France, they blend it. Or they, or they they use they just do straight cohort. Now you and I mentioned this earlier in the episode, and uh, we did an episode previously reviewing this. And there is a cohort wine from Eastern Europe. The one that we reviewed was from Moldova, and mm-hmm. um, it is not the same as the one from the cohort region, but it is named after that region. Uh, Correct. So I, I, I think it was like Pete. Are the you good? Good. No, 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 I was no. going to say, I, Peter the Great apparently was like really into it, uh, mm-hmm. cohort from France, and so he imported a whole bunch of it, and 
because the Orthodox Church thought it looked so much like the blood of Christ, they were like, we're going to start using this for communion. And then they, once, you know, once they weren't really able to import it as much, they switched it over to being a Kabsav blended with Sapravari uh, and, and and not a Malbec, which is what they were getting from Cahor. So mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting side note. What were you going to say? I, I was going to ask, were they the same grape varietals? And then you answered the question oh, before yep. you even no, asked it. So, no, yeah. they, they, <laughs> they started out because of the region, but and it's, it's widely used as Sacramento grape, but it's also just... A lot of people really like it. It's typically fortified in Eastern Europe, uh, which is what gives it, but but lightly fortified. So usually it's sixteen to twenty percent ABV, which is high, Whoa. but it's not yeah. it's not as high as like port, which is usually over twenty. That's not as high as one hundred and twenty. Right. It's it's actually about it's a, if it's in the twenty twenty range is actually higher than uh, one hundred twenty minutes yeah. these days. But yeah, um, yeah, it's really. That, that's one of those things like um you know one of the things that about um in our notes malbec is also very hard to grow in mm-hmm. france um and this is one of the things that i think is very interesting about france in general it's very hard to grow wine there normally yeah and there are varietals that do very well there but like because of the strict limitations they put on a lot of things like you don't get the natural adjustment that th- would happen you know, to the changing and uh, what's going on, which kind of ties into an article we have for later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like our notes say, it's not uncommon for them to lose an entire harvest. Oh, yeah. So Malbec isn't really heavily grown. Yeah, and and anymore. At, you know, I also put this in the notes as well. Is that in 1956, Frost killed 75 percent of the crop in Bordeaux, and so they pulled out a lot of it. They were just like, eh, we we're just we're tired of dealing with this, and and. And that's kind of surprising because Bordeaux is a big blending yeah, region. Yeah. Well, they they just and, went. To, they decided to go with the other the other grapes. So Cab Franc, um, I think it's Cap Cab Franc, Petit Verdot, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Merlot. They were just like, well, that yeah, right. we'll we'll just yeah. use we'll just use those instead of Malbec. I think there's still one subregion in Bordeaux that does uh, that is heavily influenced by Malbec, but it is a good blending grape. And the year, the years mm-hmm. when they do have a good harvest of Malbec, when it when it's blended, it does add a lot of fruitiness to the wine that you don't typically get from uh, European wines. So yeah, I mean, I I like Malbec yeah. on its own, yeah. a lot. Yeah, me too. I I, I think it, I think it's a, especially the Texas Malbecs that are grown here and and the good Argentinian ones. Uh, they're they turn out to be really good. Like I didn't realize that Texas did such a good job, but uh, Rowdy's grown great Malbec and uh, English Newsome grows a pretty good Malbec as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple others. I just can't recall what their, what their names are. But um, anyways, as a result, um, France doesn't really plan as much as they used to. Uh, Cours still does, but uh, Bordeaux kind of, there, there's a couple of, of smaller regions that still do, but for the most part, they just don't want to deal with it. But in the meantime, when all of this struggles going on in France, uh, it was introduced to Argentina about a hundred years ago. They, they wanted to plant, wine grapes and they asked people in France and for some reason they told them to plant uh, uh, Malbec and well that's because they tried they, they tried to sabotage that, <laughs> that's very possible so they told them plant Malbec and because it's of the the high uh, altitude and dryness it actually does very well there it doesn't get the rot that uh, it gets in France where it's a little bit wetter or a lot a lot wetter um, it doesn't uh, have the frosts that they get in France, so that you don't you don't lose it to early frost. You, um, you're you know it's it's a higher, drier, 
and there's and it it's warmer. So uh, they started growing it in Ar- Argentina, but for many many years it was almost entirely consumed domestically. You'd get one out of Argentina once in a while, but the ec- economics was not there to you know export it. So in the early 2000s, though, due to uh, just the economy changing, and there was that kind of slowdown in the economy for a while at the beginning of the Bush administration. So you mean when the IMF loans hit yeah. Argentina? Yep, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so, well, Argentina felt that, and the rest of the world felt that too, though, and you saw the prices for American wines that are comparable, like Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Zinfandel, that type of thing, which they're not exactly the same, but they are comparable. You started seeing the prices go up on those, and then in France, the same thing. The prices of their more robust Bordeaux and things like that started going up, and Argentina was like, shit, you know, we don't have a lot of money right now. And the market's opening up for us. Mm-hmm. We've got an opportunity to come in here at a lower price and, and they entered the market. And that's why 10 or 15 years ago, you wouldn't have seen very much Malbec, particularly Argentinian Malbec, uh, on the shelves in, you know, retail locations or in restaurants. And it's nice that this happened because we get access to a lot of really uh, good wine from Argentina that is inexpensive and it's still inexpensive. It's a little more expensive, I guess, than it used to be. I, I mean, you and I weren't really buying wine back then, but uh, from what I understand, it's it's more expensive than it used to be. And it's still a little bit hit or miss because the price in South America, Chile and Argentina in particular, doesn't really reflect the quality. It's just kind of, they're just sort of putting something on it. Um, so mm. that's a little bit tricky. Well, it's also, well, it's also like the difficulty of getting the wine out. It, it's not... Like, Chile's a little different. Yeah. Like, Chile's economy isn't cratering like the Argentinian economy yeah. is. But, like, Chile and Argentina, it, you know, they they don't have the greatest developed infrastructure. Now, Chile, like, luckily it's so narrow most of the time. It's kind of easy to get out mm-hmm. to the, you know, the coastal roads and then get up and down. But, like, Argentina, like, you know, when you're high up yeah. there, it could be a real pain in the butt. And, you know like the price might reflect just the difficulty of getting the grape to fermenters. That's right. Yeah. You know, like, and, and that would be like a really interesting thing to find like an Ar- Argentinian wine expert mm-hmm. who could speak to the difficulty of getting, you know, the, like the high, cause like, like you said, high altitude, like how, like how hard is it to get these wines down and out, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you harvest the grapes at this certain altitude, we bring it down to this one to ferment and then bottle, like, you know, just that infrastructure. It's not like you're going like, Oh, you know, it's high, high altitude in like Oregon or something like that where you're like, there's a road. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the way. Well, that, I think that's one thing that like a lot of Americans don't appreciate just because we are such a road heavy country and there's just roads mm-hmm. everywhere. And, and like yeah. when I was, when I drove out actually to Lubbock, there was multiple ways I could have gone. I went out, a kind of off the beaten path just because I kind of wanted to see it. And mm-hmm. it was interesting. It was, it was really neat to kind of drive through a lot of these like tiny towns, but there was a lot of portions of it where there was just nothing out there. And I was in my mind going, how on earth is it economical to maintain these roads out here? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like when you and I drove, when we drove back from, um, Childerberg. Yeah. Like I was just driving along going like, what the hell is yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is Google taking us through all these little towns? And like, I fell in love with like these little Texas. Yeah, towns. they're cool. Like they're cool towns. I, yeah. I I would love to live in one of those places just because they look they just look really chill. But 
Uh, well, you know, it's also because you could probably own half that's of it. That's true. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so. also, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, so it was interesting. But yeah, but what, what a lot of Americans don't realize is that even places like Portugal and Spain and even France, like there's places that just are not accessible by regular roads. They just, they yeah, just never not, built them. Yeah, it's just, it's not like you can get in with like a, you know, Land Cruiser or a Range Rover and, you know, those like high sport utility vehicles, but you're not getting a Fiesta up there. Right, right. And there's, I know that like, I can't remember who it was, but there's this like really famous French winemaker who was like up in the French Alps and mm-hmm. the, like you could only access it by this like, what are those like, those cars that are on like cables? Like a gondola? Maybe it's called a gondola, but it's like, it's like a cable that they have to like pull up to the so mm-hmm. they so that was like the only way to access this dude's vineyard and he was up there and a couple of years ago maybe like 10 years or 15 years ago I don't, I don't remember I was reading about it in a book like he fell off the cliff and oh. like while he was out there like tending to his grapes because they were just like right on the side of a mountain and he was making these like incredible wines up there but uh he was out like out there he was like you know in his in his 80s or something like that and was out there tending his mm-hmm. grapes and just fell off the, <laughs> fell off the side of the cliff or whatever and he, you just don't think about how extreme a lot of these places are where people are are making like really amazing wines is that yeah. i mean even out in lubbock it's just it is pretty extreme out there as well it, we we finished harvesting around noon uh for the day and it was getting up to 106 107 degrees and that's a nice day in that part of texas yeah, and like so, like, and here, here I'm complaining when it's 96, yeah, I know. and it's like, uh. <laughs> well, it's more humid out there. Lubbock, Lubbock's well, pretty dry. It, yeah, but like that's the thing is like it, it isn't routinely 96 mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Well, on a yeah, side note, our like, AC is not working right now, so it's like 80, 82 in our apartment. <laughs> I, I don't know if the, your AC isn't working or if your wife is just because <laughs> she, she yeah, freezes. That's to true. Death. Yeah. Like it, it, you know, and that's the thing is like when I was visiting, I was just like, I forgot <laughs> Victoria <laughs> has like a different concept of temperature than right, I do. Right. <laughs> it's her home. She's gracious enough to let me sleep on the couch for several days. Yeah. Like I'm not complaining, but like after having been out in the uh, the heat of Childerberg, yeah. and then like. You know, the intermittent AC from the van and then getting back, it's like, I just want it to be cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. So speaking of Childerberg, yeah. I believe today is the hmm, the first, and I believe uh, the special edition shirts are no longer available. Um, I might so. extend it a little bit, but let's let's look. Let's real oh, quick. Let's yeah. look. I think I've, I think we sold like 72 total. Yeah, so, so I was thinking about maybe uh, giving it another week or two. Yeah, so Childerberg. Well, I think we should because it's been a few since we've had to been able to promote them. Let's yeah. say so uh, Childerberg You know, it's our annual event in Texas. So the next one is in May of 2020. It's going to wrap the Libertarian National Convention 23rd through 26th in Austin itself. Will be about 20 minutes outside of the convention. Um, you know, come one, come all, uh, register, kind of let us know you're coming, let us know what's going on, let us know what you're interested in trying to do. We're going to be trying to do all sorts of fun yeah. things from kidnapping uh, very famous podcasters to bribing very famous podcasters to assaulting very famous podcasters <laughs> with silly nonsense, not physically, right. just, you know, silly nonsense. You know, we're going to try to, like, if we can't get Tom Woods to come out there, I'm going to, like, try to dark what ta- dark Tom Woods, like, one of his uh, recordings. I'm sure he's going to be there, even though it 
he may seem like he's not going to be. Um, I'm sure somehow they're going to get him out there. Um, but yeah, so we're selling shirts. That's primarily how we fund this event. So we do have a really awesome, uh, special edition shirt, which I recently just got my order in cause I'm lazy apparently and <laughs> yeah. didn't realize what month it was. I, I mean, um, it flew, it so, flew yeah. by like wave. Yeah. Yes. So I, I'm, I'll, I'll post yeah. another thing on Twitter for the next week or whatever saying, Hey, we're going to end it on probably by the time this posts, it'll be over, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and no, 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 we should. We should end it the 8th, which is Grandparents Day. Okay. So that's next Sunday. All right. So get it for so, your grandparents. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you want a shirt with my and Jacob's face, Car Campant, and uh, Bird Archist's uh, avatars, because yeah. they're too chicken to put their faces out there. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're perfectly fine to do as they want. Uh, but yeah, that's our... Uh, that's our big event. You can also follow us at Childer or Childerberg. Well, you can follow Jacob Childerberg on Twitter, uh, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, tastinganarchy.com. And if you want to send us an email like Andrew did and get a shout out and an email back when uh, I figure some stuff out at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Yeah. So those are our plugs. Now, as we've already mentioned, Bird and Carr, Friends Against Government. So they also kind of co-host the Childerberg event or is a bird does it starts fights with everyone yeah. while a car just hangs out no bird didn't get to attend the first one so who knows if he'll actually start fights uh but we know car will hang out and be a cool guy because that's what he does because yeah. we've seen him do it once <laughs> so yeah, yeah i think hopefully that, I, everybody will be able to come i think i think we're gonna have a really great turnout it's gonna be a lot of fun and yeah. uh i actually just remember i have to email or i have to message bird and have him on the show because uh we have a wine that we we're gonna do together correct it's been sitting in my stockpile of wine going like did i drink yeah, that yeah no it's it's hidden ha. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually uh at well, let's go ahead and do the plug for our sponsor, Last Bottle Wines. Uh, last, I was going to say, while you plug Last Bottle, I'm going to go get some more wine. Okay. All so right. Well, right Last back. Bottle Wines just did recently a marathon, and I bought 12 more bottles of the wine that we're going to be doing with Bird Argus. And um, it's a fantastic wine. When Bird comes on, I think we're going to have a really good time. Bird, Bird is also kind of a foodie, so he knows a lot about food. He's, he's good at cooking and stuff like that. So... Uh, if you guys are interested in getting really good deals on curated wines that are high quality every day, it's one deal a day. Once the deal's done, it's done. Occasionally, they'll come back up, but usually it's not. That's actually when this one came back up, I bought 12 because I was like, oh, crap, it's never going to come back up. But go over to tastinganarchy.com, and you can sign up for Last Bottle of Wines using our link, and you'll get $10 off, and it'll give us a small kickback. Um, and help us uh, drink more interesting wines and uh, just save us money and it's and it's good for the show. So thanks a lot for that. Um, when Mason comes back, we'll get back into it. And I'm back. Awesome. I was just telling the listeners that uh, I bought 12 more bottles of this one on Last Bottle Wines because it came back up during the marathon. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I, 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 honestly, I think it's like one of the best blends that I've that I've had. So. Uh, I bought nice. twelve more, nice. and uh, they're just—it was—they're a, a fantastic deal. But let's go ahead and get to articles. Yeah, because I've got some interesting ones. We're going to go with like a little bit of a not political bent this week. Uh, well, I think both the ones that I see have a huge political event per, bent personal. Okay, but that's because I'm a conspiracy theorist, as in 
I believe in the okay. truth. All right, all right. Do you want to do you want to go with food first, or do you want to go with zero hedge first? I'm gonna go with zero hedge first because I'm the one who. Yeah. Found okay. It. So with that. Um, so there's a zero hedge article out. Um, well, it was posted on zero hedge. I don't believe it's original content from them, um, but apparently France is really hot. Mm-hmm. And dry. So, according to, and I'm doing air quotes, the scientists, the last time that France was this hot uh, and dry was about 1540. Yeah. Um, so, grapes are being, in like Burgundy, are being harvested like 13 days early, um, which to you and me, like 13 days early, you think about like harvesting a tomato. Yeah. 13 days early. No, they, they have. So, and like, while I was being kind of crappy and being conspiracy theorist and all that silliness, they have some immaculate records in France about harvest dates and all that stuff. I mean, it's not like they're, this is baloney. They've been harvesting there for a very long time. So that's a long time. Right. Like 13 days on the vine. Like that's a huge difference. Like if we had Rowdy on here, like he definitely would be able to speak to that. Like, you know, when you have a consistent weather, like you know, a lot of the places in France do like, that's a huge thing. So it's very warm in France. Um, but it's not as warm as it has been. Like it was hotter back in those days too. And like, they were talking about having some wines that were, you know, the, when they were harvesting the grapes, they looked like raisins. Like they were really, it was really hot then, but they also like back then didn't have anywhere near as good of, like weather accuracy predictions and and those sort of things. Like a lot of them would know the local weather very well, but you had no idea what's going on elsewhere. Mm. So my personal opinion is this is just kind of this, like the, cause it came out of Bloomberg, which has really become a lot more leftist bent yeah. and a lot more, you know, leftist conspiratorial. Like, yes, there is something going on with the climate, but you know, we just came out of the little ice age not that long ago so like we have no idea what the weather actually is doing we don't know what's going on people are trying to make it seem like this huge category you know five you know dorian hurricane it's september and it's only in the d's for hurricanes well and you know there's another there's a i have some other explanations that i thought about for the 13 days earlier is Mm -hmm. the um the prevalence of refractometers so the way that Americans typically harvest their grape is not by taste, it's by the sugar content based off of a reading from a refractometer. So it's like a little it's a little pen device basically that you just put some of the grape juice in it. It tells you it tells mm-hmm. you how much sugar's in it. And when the sugar So it's like a it's like a blood glucose. Yeah, basically. Meter. And and yeah. it'll and it basically says, Okay, the sugar's this high and you go, Okay, that's what I want, let's harvest. Whereas mm-hmm. pr- previously, before the refractometer was very prevalent you would uh, you would have a grape grower. He would go out. He would taste the grape, and you go like, "Oh, this maybe this could sit for a little bit longer." And he would leave it. And so, with with more accurate readings from a refractometer, you are probably going to be getting more accurate harvest dates according to sugar levels, which doesn't necessarily correspond to the best time to harvest the wine. Correct. Yeah, I, I know exactly. Yeah. Where you're so going what I'm this. what I'm thinking is that you're getting a lot more technical. Uh, grape growing, which is which could be good in a lot of ways, um, and in other ways it could be bad. But but when more people are adopting the use of a refractometer, they're going to continually harvest earlier and earlier and earlier, even if the weather changes are not as extreme as that seems to indicate. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah, because that's the thing that people don't understand about. There's something about being so. Um, you do you know who Enzo Ferrari is? That's how, it Probably sounds was. really familiar. Well, it should. He he's the guy who founded Ferrari. Oh, the car, the car Ferrari. Okay, yes. yeah. Okay, correct. So Enzo Ferrari's favorite metal worker beat by hand all of the body panels, basically for the Ferrari California. It's one of the most Ferrari Ferraris that isn't like the supercars of today where it's like you know they're basically computers with an engine yeah. like but and this guy was one of those guys where like if you and i were looking at like having a car produced and it was we we're gonna make one this is the guy yeah. like literally by hand they all look amazing none of the parts are even close to interchangeable right right <laughs> He did it by hand. There's no yeah. way. Whereas in America, it's like you get like the Ford Pinto, which was a terrible death machine at times. Not really, mm-hmm. but that's the way it's portrayed media. But like most of the parts were interchangeable because they're mass right. So when you have these boutique shops and these government enforced and entrenched monopolies and these different things, there's a lot of, oh, this is how we've always done it. Well, your uncle's been going retarded for 15 years because he's been huffing paint thinner yeah. and he's the guy testing your grapes. Right. Well, and the, and there's also like, he may be perfect. Yeah. He also may not like, cause you know, that's the thing is, as you get older, mm. your taste, your, your sensitivity to sugars goes yeah. down. You're, you know, you, you lose a lot of these yeah. things. And like, yes, uh, some of these people never lose a, never lose a minute of it. You know, they're perfect. Right. And they, that all that experience plays in, but others don't. Yeah. They just get burnt out. Like, what if they had, like, accidentally scalded their tongue the night before? Yeah. Like, putting science to these things changes a lot of it. It does. Just like you said. And, 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 like, that article is so, even for, like, Zero Hedge, is like, oh, the world's trying to kill us. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is I don't don't have any problem with with the global warming thing like you know since you and i've gotten into wine i used to think it was like a total hoax and like just perpetrated by the un or something like that but like and and i do think there's that aspect to it but just based on the economics it there could be several explanations but it does seem like wineries are moving north and part of that could be growing techniques part of it could be technology but there there does seem to be this northern northerly movement and that does indicate warmer temperatures there does seem to be a trend but the the thing that bothers me always is, and, and this article is actually very good with this because it doesn't it doesn't say anything about it. But that people will say, well, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and it's getting hotter. Therefore, this is the policy. Yeah, and that and that's the thing that to me is, it's not getting hotter in the way that they're saying it. When you say it's getting hotter, people assume, well, it's always been this cold. No, right. It has been much harder. There's been much more carbon dioxide. Yeah. There's been much more of everything that you're, these people are talking about, and it's been a crap ton colder. Yeah, the this is like this is the fallacy, and personally, and not to get peaceful treason conspiracy type, yeah. you know, not to throw those guys under the bus. I love them, um, but this is the central bank yeah. fallacy. People have been tricked into this concept that we can drive the economy, so they're dumb enough to think we can drive the environment. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's true. Yes. Like, and, I mean, what was it that like um, 
the I, I think it was what the younger Dryas was like that the last like cold snap and it was like thirteen thousand years ago, which in the terms of climate is not that long. Yeah, it's and, nothing. Blink of yeah, an eye. so and then like even like the little ice age was like barely a drop in temperature. And it I mean messed up humans hard. Right, exactly. So like like and then Krakatoa. Right. And well and you also think though about like the younger Dryas is that like that was like thirteen thousand years ago, right? And Anatomic well, there's new evidence out, out actually that like anatomically modern humans have existed for almost three hundred thousand years. So yeah. it's like in the in the span of human history, like that's not that long ago that there was like glaciers covering large percentages of the earth. Yeah. And they think humans were in North America sixteen thousand years yeah, ago. That, yeah. Which is a thousand years before they thought it in the heart. Right. Right. So like this is the this is what drives me insane and like you know the the hockey curve graph yeah. that they always show yeah. it's been thoroughly disproven but they keep showing mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. so like i have no doubt that humans will master technology to the point that they can manipulate the global environment yeah we can't predict where a category 5 hurricane where we have hundreds of examples in relevant data we can't predict where it's going yeah so for those who don't know, it's September 1st, Dorian is messing up the Bahamas, and it may rip Florida a new one, go into the Gulf, and then rip New Orleans a new one, or it may miss Florida and rip Virginia a new one, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, or it there. I think there's still one model that says it will just go around Florida altogether. We don't know. Yeah. And yet, somehow, we can predict the best policy for the environment. Now... I want everybody to be clear. I am against aggressing against someone else. And to me, aggressing against someone else is going like, well, here's my cigarette butt on your lawn. Or here's me, you know, doing all this polluting. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with pollution, but I don't believe that it's the government's right to enforce its rules, given that it's one of the largest polluters bar none. Yeah, that's true. And and I, I think in like, you know, we'll go ahead and close on this, but the... You know, the free market in, in a free market property rights world, you would be able to take a tort against anybody who was putting unwanted pollutants on your property. Whereas the Correct. government does not allow you to do that. In a, in a, it, you have to take class action lawsuits and and link up with a whole bunch of other people to do it. And even then, if it and then the, if the government's the polluter, then you they have they have uh, sovereign immunity, so nothing happens with that. And and or, if they're or if they don't, yeah. like you're you're suing yourself because you're the one who has to bear the burden of the government's f- fault mm-hmm. as the taxpayer. Right. Like it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a that that we've done a good uh, explanation on that. But I think it's interesting, and it's something that you and I will probably be continuing to keep an eye on because we've discussed this before. That like Bordeaux's introducing new grape varietals, which could mm-hmm. uh, impact Bordeaux wines, and and I'm curious to see what happens. It may be that it impacts them for the better. I mean, there's there are some yeah. uh, climate scientists and some economics economists um, that believe that a warming planet will actually be very good for us. Uh, and yeah, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Exactly, and given that our uh, possible next vacation destination outside of Austin mm-hmm. is uh, Wales, maybe they'll have some winery in Wales. That'd be, that'd be really cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, we should we should it's see so if cool. we can if we can get out to Wales. We should see if we can take a day and go down to Cornwall and try some of the sparkling wines down there. I I I ser- if we can get if this works, like what we're yeah. hoping to do. I'm going to be taking a lot of wine back. Yeah. 
like a lot of British wines. Yeah, that'd back. be that'd be really neat. They they, they make yeah. some good wine up up there. It's but it's so hard to get it outside of the UK. Correct. That's uh, why I'm going to yeah. go the UK. But like, I'm pretty sure. I, I think this spring we're going to see a lot of the 20, 2018 varietals that they couldn't sell. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and it's yeah. it's going to be a. I mean, that's going to be a freaking huge year too because they they made so yeah. much that year. So. And like they're starting to harvest this year, I think you're going to see record numbers yeah. this year. Like we're going to like 2018 is going to be dwarfed. Yeah. Oh, probably, yeah, so, probably. I and you know, kind of speaking of that, what would we eat? Let's talk about the Earl of Hamburg. Yeah. <laughs> what would we eat? What would we eat with these with these wines? And the answer may be uh, some sort of Scottish burger. <laughs> I would eat Scottish meat pie. That's my, one of my favorite foods. Uh, but you and me yeah, they're, they're, it's British food. Is, <laughs> British food is our. It food. is. It is. It's, it's it's very hearty. It's just it's very heavy. But it's also just like yeah. it's good. It's like everything about it. It's just decent. Well, if you're if you're an Indian faster and you only eat twice a day, that's like, true. Hey, you know, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the issue or not the issue, the article that I am talking about is from Decanter Magazine, and it is mm-hmm. how to pair wine with burgers. I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing for our. It's a listeners, great topic. It is a great topic. I, I, you know, we eat a lot of burgers in in America in general, but just like you and I eat a lot of burgers, I think. We and uh, I'm actually I'm trying to get another Liberty like Liberty monthly get together here, and I decided like the brewery's awesome. Turning Point Brewery, shout out to them. Like they make really good beer. But I'm trying to think of like things that would be appealing to people who are not really into drinking beer. So I think on the 15th we're going to do like a Lake Grill out. Uh, up by like uh, Lake Grape- Grapevine, which is like 20, 20 minutes north of here. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think we can get a lot. We can get you know, when I say a lot of people, I mean like ten people. But it, you mean Maddie Maddie K and his crew? Oh man, if he if he would come <laughs> up, that would be great. But that's like a that's like a four hour drive for him. But it's Maddie K. It, that's true. He might he might come. I don't know. But I I think Tell him I, Scott Horton's going to be there. Be there. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, he didn't come when Scott Horton was I speaking love- in Fort Worth, so. I don't. Did he know that he was speaking? Well, you know what? I didn't know until two days prior. So yeah, or three maybe three days prior. And actually, Shane uh, from uh, from uh, what's happening now, uh, Hoppa mm-hmm. Supremacy, yeah. the the half Asian supremacy. Um, they they <laughs> he's the one who told me. He was like, "Hey, do you, are you going to go to this?" And I was like, "I had no idea this was happening." I'm, thank you for telling me. So it was kind of cool to go, go yeah. out and listen to him. Speak. Those guys are great. They are really great. I'm and and they're kind of. I'm sort of gearing this toward them because they're they do like whole thirty and stuff like that. So I don't want them to have to like go to the brewery and just sit around while the rest of us drink beer. They do what? Whole thirty, it's like uh it's kinda like paleo, I guess. It's like I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't really know very much about it, but I think it's similar to paleo. You, like they don't drink beer. So you'll be doing this tomorrow. <laughs> what what do you mean? Uh, you, your intensity and in research and in jumping into something. Oh, something. Well, no, Victoria and I are starting a new diet tomorrow, actually, uh, which is not Whole Thirty, but it's um, it's like the it's like all meat diet for a certain amount of time, and then you start adding in vegetables like one at a time to see like how you feel with different things. It's it's weird, but uh, that that is one of those like hard jumping off points. I could I can do like, meat easily. I, I pretty much only eat meat as it is. I do eat vegetables no, occasionally, no, no, no. but no, no, no. Like if you didn't, mm-hmm. that's what I mean. Is like you switch to meat only, and you're like, what if you feel terrible then? And then you start adding vegetables, in and it's like I feel less terrible. It's like, well, yeah, if you hadn't gone yeah. all meat, you wouldn't have felt terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> like that's my thing is that 
for for me at least, like an all meat diet is not that not that big of a step. I do eat a lot of vegetables, but I almost eat no fruit, uh, and I pretty much I yeah I, I've just I, I really don't eat yeah fruit. I've never really liked fruit that much. There's certain ones that I think are really good, like actually like dried apricots I love, but but yes. you, but the problem with dried ap- apricots is that like I'll eat like a million of them. Yeah, I'll eat the entire stupid plastic. Yeah, container. and which yeah. is a huge amount of fruit. Like, it's it's way too much to eat. <laughs> if that's all you ate in the day, it'd be yeah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. No, exactly. Like I, I'm, I, if I don't, if I'm not eating meat, it's more carbs than I care to admit. So yeah. yeah. Well, you know me. I, I've never really eaten that many carbs. I think I probably yeah. eat more now than I used to because I discovered rye bread, and I, I and like <laughs> the Russian rye bread, I think is really good. And so I'll yeah. eat a lot of that. But anyways, in, into our story, it's about hamburgers mm-hmm. and it's about pairing wine with hamburgers. Um, so some f- food historians, which I thought that was interesting because it makes sense that there's a food historian. And also I was looking at my Great Courses series on my phone and I've taken a food history course uh, on Great <laughs> Horses, Courses, but I, I it never occurred to me that that was like a job, like food historian. I... I- I think we've had this conversation multiple Pro- times. Probably. <laughs> but anyways, food historians believe hamburgers evolved from traditional hamburger steaks or Hamburg steaks in Germany. Some food historians say no because the Romans have been eating wine-infused meat patties since, you know, Roman times. And uh, apparently meat patties constitutes hamburger, which... I do eat a lot of meat patties. I don't consider those hamburgers. I just consider them meat patties because a hamburger is like between buns. And but you know that's that's just me. So hmm. also uh, we apparently are supposed to be limiting our hamburger consumption because it's bad for the environment. That's what the article tells me. My wife and I had that conversation today really about the uh, Impossible Burgers and how I thought that was bullshit. Oh, we're gonna get into the Impossible Burgers in this article. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, classic beef burgers, what, what should we pair with those? So according to the article, uh, typical go-to reds, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, uh, cooler climate Malbecs. So what does a cooler climate do, Mason, for wines is, um, you, you know, this is, is usually if it's a cooler climate, it elevates acidity. So mm-hmm. a cooler climate Malbec. Yeah, the go ahead. Lower sugar production. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So a cooler climate Malbec is going to be a little bit more acidic, a little more aggressive. That's going to um, give you a really great pairing for a very fatty meat like a hamburger. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're not doing like 90-10 burger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so they also said with a cheeseburger, it depends on the cheese, but standard, uh, you might want to focus more on uh, New World fruitiness when it comes to cheeses because the fruit flavor pairs very well with cheese. Now, I know you're not a fan of cheese, but uh, Bordeaux blends from California or Oregon. Bordeaux blend from California is something that we're actually going to be doing with Bird when he comes on. It's a it's a yeah. Bordeaux blend, and uh, so we could we could take we could maybe pair this with a hamburger that day. We'll 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 see what we want to do. Um, so that, that might be a good thing with a cheeseburger is, is a fruity Bordeaux blend, you know, from, you know, Meritage blend from Oregon or, or California, and you'll get that kind of fruit flavor. So in this article, they also started now to me, like this is not a burger, but I've always, I also refer to them as burgers, um, chicken or fish burgers. Uh, that would be, I guess, ground chicken or, or sort of like uh filleted fish or like ground fish, um, 
they yeah i'm surprised they say chicken or fish and not chicken or turkey yeah i i kind of was surprised about that too so i'm trying to think of like because like if it's like a fillet of chicken like a chicken breast i would say that's a chicken sandwich that's just chick-fil-a yeah exactly it's chick-fil-a it's it's chicken sandwich but and same thing with fish if it's a fish fillet it's a fish sandwich so i'm trying to figure out what a fish or chicken burger is my guess is it's ground chicken or ground turkey or ground is is ground fish a thing I, 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 not, not in that context. Okay. They, they do, like, there are some, some things like that, but they're usually fried then, because, like, you, you can't okay. grill it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So they, they're saying, um, what you want to, what you want to pair, pair with, like, a, uh, chicken or fish burger, whatever that means. I'm not, I'm not clear on that, is, um, something lighter with good structure and acidity. So, uh, Gruner Veltner, uh, which is German, a German, um, Kind of very acidic, very acidic wine, uh, Gruner Belter. Have, have you had that yet, Mason? No, no. I think I have, but I don't recall. Um, so that would that would be in particularly good with uh, one of these types of burgers that's heavy in garlic and herbs. Uh, maybe a fuller-bodied rosé would be good with chicken or fish. And then they kind of go into veggie burgers. And then they mention in the article that the government is trying to prevent people from calling non-meat burgers – something besides or all right non-meat burgers they basically they don't want them to call them burgers because burgers are reserved for beef according to some of these lawmakers or uh heavy meats and not vegetables mm-hmm. and i kind of get that but at the same time like who cares <laughs> well it's like uh people who are trying to stop like almond milk from being called almond mm-hmm. milk like they're they're trying to change yeah. that. Well, and kind of my my question for them also is who cares? Like, I don't think unless you're like really dumb, nobody thinks that almonds are being milked like a cow is being milked. Well, you know that's what they're worried about. But you know, you and me, like, I, I to be honest, I thought the same thing when I was like, um. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, what was your what was your wife saying about the Impossible Burger that you were talking about? Um, something she was somebody was saying. Oh, how much better it is for you, hmm. which it isn't. It's terrible for you because it's high in sodium. Mm-hmm. There's just a whole bunch of stuff going on, like GMO, yeah. like so all the ways that people and I'm using air quotes would say that it's good or healthy. You know, blah blah blah. For you, it's not. It's actually pretty bad yeah. and, and not good in in that regard higher carbs lower protein um you know to me like i'm not really that worried about genetically modified food personally uh but a lot of people are like it doesn't check check any of those boxes okay so people are like oh it's this you know amazing thing and it's like no it, it's not it's it's like eating cardboard yeah it's not good for you and People are like, oh, it's so much better for the environment. And yet, you know, people have been talking about if you give cows pink seaweed, it basically gets rid of that methane production, you know, all these yeah. things. But like, and they're like, oh, cow, you know, raising cattle takes up so much land. It's like, yeah, but terraforming the land into being like, you've driven through the Texas cattle country. Yeah. You can't grow shit there. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty much scrub. It's like, scrub land. It's just that there's, yeah, you know, like, they've got cows kind of going out and eating cactus and things like that. Yeah. And they have to subsidize, subsidize, you know, give them special food. So it's not like you can 
like you're suddenly going to turn around and grow corn there or something. Like it's not like the world is not managing its food resource growing availability Mm -hmm. very well, which to me is not a problem because if it was a free market, then people wouldn't be induced to grow the most efficient things in the most efficient places. Right. Yeah. And and that's true. Or invent better growing techniques. Like, have you ever seen anything about the Disney, like Disney parks, tomatoes? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have perennial, like continually growing tomato Mm -hmm. plants. They have. Well, and tomatoes, tomatoes in several stories tall. Tomatoes in South America are perennials. Uh, and, uh, because that's where I guess tomatoes come from is is South America. They do. And they do, they, there's one that they, I I can't remember the, the, the amount of tomatoes it produces, but they have it in a greenhouse with like, um, where they'll, this actually been one of my ideas for like turning trash into money is that this particular greenhouse, it, uh, it sucks in only carbon dioxide and pressurizes it with CO2. Mm -hmm. So it's cleaning the air. And it makes the tomato grow faster because, like something like seventy percent of all vegetables is is carbon, mm-hmm. uh, and so it it by by growing this in this particular hydroponics fashion with the increased pressure in CO two, they can produce like thousands of tons of tomatoes a year. It, it's crazy how yeah. much they're producing. Yeah, and they're good tomatoes. They're not those yeah. watery garbage. Yeah, tomatoes. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things. It's like super interesting and super different yeah and that's the thing that drives me nuts is like people are like oh this you know this this and this so yeah like the impossible burger if you're allergic to meat proteins and those sort of things like you get that weird tick disease oh yeah yeah the lone star tick great yeah yeah you can enjoy a burger again or if you have a some sort of ethical concern about the consumption of animals which taking something that is a huge manufacturing process and then turning it into a patty that's not that like i don't think it's much more ethical given like all the other crap that has to happen for it to occur yeah. but well i mean that aside you know, I, like, I understand i i get yeah. it i mean like i Victor, i mean yeah. like i wouldn't as a, as you and i have talked about like i wouldn't be eating cow if i had to yeah. kill it well and you know Victor, you know <laughs> i the, victoria and i were talking about this yesterday is uh I had to unfollow this person on Twitter because they they reposted and and they reposted it saying this is terrible. How why would anybody do this? But they reposted like one of those like fetish videos of like a lady stepping on a puppy. No, no, yeah, oh god. And I and I I unfollowed the person. Then I direct messaged him and where I direct messaged him. Then I unfollowed him. I was like, dude, you cannot repost this kind of stuff. I don't want to see it in my feed. But and so I get it. Like I get it. Like certain things. Uh, you know, with with cows, is to me, it's a different thing because they're just they're they're animals that are designed for food. They're bred for food. Whereas, like you know, my mm. foxy or my future molder is they're designed for companionship and they're they're my buddies. And so it's a completely different thing. Where well, they were they were designed as working dogs. They weren't yeah. designed as companions. Well, yeah, and they were designed. Yeah, they're they're well. I mean, Shiba Inus are for hunting. So yeah, they're they're work dogs. Yeah, yeah. and. uh Exactly, but I mean that's the thing is like chihuahuas were designed as food. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. They they were a food breed dog. Huh. That's 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 very interesting. Well, Foxy's my buddy, so <laughs> exactly. and any dog really when I like I see them getting hurt, I'm just like this is horrific or whatever. But uh, so I do understand that from like a vegetarian standpoint. And if they can figure out a way to grow meat in a laboratory, and it it's economical and uh, more humane, 
I'm all for that. That's that's the point of us having gigantic brains. We're gonna figure out ways yeah. to be better. And yeah, but that and that's the thing is like it has to be more economical. But like in my opinion, it's like they they also have to recognize that means that all of the farm animals should then be slaughtered yeah. or or castrated, and, and then, then you have to have like some sort of charity that takes care of them. Well, slaughtered and composted. Yeah. yeah. Like return return their bodies to the environment. Yeah. But then they there's no more growing right. them. Right, exactly, and yeah, that I mean, that's a that's a large offset, um, and and then there's also you know there's the argument with like veggie birds and stuff like that. It's the amount of animals that are killed in the processing of food of of grain of like mm-hmm. grains and and other types of food is that like those those tractors kill ungodly yeah. amounts of animals. Like I mean, if you if 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 a mouse is equal to a cow as far as like ethical you know ethicalness or whatever, you're killing tons of mice when you when you put the thresher through the yeah. wheat fields but you know that's that's here neither here nor there veggie burgers if you guys are into veggie burgers i don't have any arguments against you i actually had a veggie burger it wasn't an impossible burger but it was similar it was at um there's this place called buzz brews that's down the street from me they they make good burgers uh well they make decent burgers i, I don't want to say they make good burgers suppose my dad says their coffee is very good because when he was out here we went there and they have like 16 different coffees that you can try <laughs> uh, and so he said their coffee's pretty good, but I had a veggie burger while I was there just because I was curious, and it was actually not bad. Uh, it was texture-wise different, and it was also a lot saltier than um, I would say a normal burger is. But on the other hand, it was not as greasy, so it reminded me of like you know you know J and K uh, burgers over there by uh, mm-hmm. Payday. Um, yeah, that that burger place I think makes a really good burger. Uh, but they're super greasy. Like they just like they like they just drip drip grease. And um, this was not like that. This was like a very dry burger. And honestly, if somebody had given it to me and said, "Oh, this is just a really dry beef patty," I would have believed him. But it mm-hmm. was. But knowing it was a veggie burger, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is drier. It's saltier. It's it's different than a yeah than a real burger." But uh, but anyways, well, it's 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 one of those. I wonder if like I had gotten a real. If I had gotten a burger from them and just not told you and didn't say that this is a dry burger, just said nothing. Yeah. Like how, what your what your comparison would yeah, have been. Yeah, I'm kind of interested about that too because, you know, when I had it, I, I, I remember telling my dad, I was like, this is actually, it's not bad. He was making fun of me because I was eating a veggie burger, but I was just, I just kind of wanted to try it. So it was, yeah. it was interesting. Like I had nothing against it. It tasted fine. It's just you know wasn't my favorite thing ever, yeah. but uh, anyway. So the article says though you would you would pair a veggie burger with orange wine, which is g- gaining a popularity. And orange wine is, um, I th- it, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's 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 uh, white wine grapes that during the fermentation process is um, they're done on the skin, and mm-hmm. that kind of gives it that orange color. Uh, and it also gives them more tannins, a little bit more structure that white wines don't typically yeah. have. It's a classic Georgian. Yeah, technique. exactly. It is. It's the classic Georgian technique. And then the other one that they said was uh, European Pinot Noir. It's going to be light. It's going to be acidic. It's going to have uh, earth flavors, like a lot of slate, a lot of kind of dirt in a good way. Uh, it it that I could see that going with it. It, it is very earthy, and I and earthy things do go really well with ground veg or not ground vegetables uh grilled vegetables like if you have like a grilled vegetable mm-hmm. dish and a really earthy pinot noir that's a great pairing uh so that is that article 
Yeah, and all my pairings are red. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it would be fine. I would, I'd be, too, I, I would probably drink yeah. red, red wine with any of these things. I like red wine with stuff. Um, I'm starting to branch out quite a bit more into the food pairing world, um, mostly because like I, I'm trying to get my W set three in a, in a couple of months. I was going to do it in September, but I think I'm going to push it back because I'm going to get the dog um, in September, and mm. I don't, I don't really feel like I am studied up enough for it, but. Uh, the food pairings is important in wine. I typically drink wine by itself, uh, and and Indeed. don't don't pair it with anything. Like when I eat, I usually have water, and then afterward, I enjoy a wine. But it is interesting to have a wine paired with food because the the food flavor does change your experience of wine. Correct. And um, yeah. so I encourage people to just kind of experiment, see see what you know, see what wines you like paired with a different food. I think this is a great place to start with burgers. Is if you're going to have a burger, not not one of these other types of things that they're talking about, like chicken or fish or vegetables. If you're going to have like, unless that's what you normally have, as a yeah, burger. If that's what you normally have. I mean, that's fine. But like, if you're if you're just going to go straight up regular burger, go get a twenty dollar Cabernet Sauvignon, or you can actually get really good Cabernet Sauvignon for less than that. Go get a nice Syrah. Um, I mean, that's what you're drinking tonight is Shiraz, Mason. So no, I'm drinking Pinot Gris. I thought you were. Oh, that's right. You had the Shiraz from Australia prior. Yeah, I had the Shiraz, uh Cabernet yeah. Sauv, and Pinot yeah. Gris. I mean, the, it it does it says cooler climate Malbec, but like this relentless uh, Merlot Malbec blend, I think would be great with any sort of grilled food. Uh, it mm-hmm. is it's just good outdoor spending time with friends, hanging out, eating good food on the grill, like like what you and I used to do when we lived in Virginia, Mason, or when I lived in mm-hmm. Virginia was you know just get some stuff, cook it on the grill, and enjoy. Yeah. See if Mason will poison it. Well, <laughs> I mean, you've yeah. never made anything bad, so yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is, like, I think one of the things that people need to think about when pairing wine with food is, don't go out. In my opinion, personally, don't go out and find something you've never eaten before to pair with a wine you've never really had before. What it like? Do you like Indian food? Mm. Do you like Italian? Do you like X, Y, or Z? What's your favorite food? Yeah and food type that isn't like i like goldfish from pepperidge farm like okay yes there's wines that pair with that but if there's a meal type or a meal variety that you're super into you try very often or if it's a cooking method like you grill everything look into wines that will pair with grilling things then start trying to figure out like okay what's this doing what if i tried this style red instead of this style what if i tried a white Mm -hmm. And you can really kind of change your experience with both the wine and the food at the same yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? The food – so one of the things that I have learned a lot through my like wine journey is that – one, it's, it's expanded my palate quite a bit. I eat a lot more fish than I used to eat. Mm-hmm. And part of that is being married to Victoria because she always wants fish. But um, yeah. but it, it gave me a willingness to try fish to see what it would do with my glass of wine. So like mm-hmm. a smoked salmon with X wine, you know, and, and going like, what is this like? And then taking the plain raw salmon and then ta- and then plain grilled salmon and trying that with the same wine and being like, well, what are these doing? What happens when I put salt on it? What happens when I put lemon juice on it? You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, it's, it's so interesting. It changes your experience with the wine. Um, and yeah. it really opens your avenues up. So yeah, don't be afraid to pair it. Pair wine with whatever you want. If you like the food, 
see what it is. Like, you know, I just recently made barbacoa. It mm-hmm. was ungodly spicy. I made a mistake on 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 it because like I the the recipe called for like one can of chipotle peppers, and and mm-hmm. I was like, well, I I feel like I, that's not enough, so I put in like three cans of chipotle peppers. And you wanted to make this something your wife could eat. I know exactly. And then uh, I tasted it, and I and I was like, yeah, Victoria, you're not going to be able to eat this. And then I end up having to throw it away because after a couple of days, I realized that's why my stomach was really upset. <laughs> and and then I asked my one of my coding partners, uh, Antonio, is Mexican, and I was like, how do you how do you make uh, barbacoa? And he was he was like, oh well, you know, you you add this, you add this, you add this, and then you add like three peppers from a can of chipotle. I was like, three peppers, only three. You just pick three out of the can. What do you do with the rest of the can? He's like, I don't know, they're cheap. You just throw it away. And I like, uh, I added three cans, and he's like, "No, that's unedible. You can't eat that." And I was like, "Oh, okay. No wonder my stomach's been upset for the last three days." <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. I mean, it it tasted good. It was it was ungodly yeah. hot. Like it, I was like sweating, like wiping sweat off my brow the entire time, going like, "This is good," and like putting like ungodly amounts of sour cream on it, and. Uh, just like trying to like scarf it. And then I, and after, after a couple of days when I realized it was upsetting my stomach so bad, I just told Victoria, I was like, I got to throw it out. I, we, we've wasted the money on it. I feel bad, but like, I mean, granted it was just stew meat. So <laughs> stew meat's not yeah. that expensive. Well, and to be honest, it's not like your wife was going like, Oh, you've, you've messed up. She's like, yeah, you made it poison. To yeah. Me <laughs> <immediately>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She had like one piece and she was like, Oh my God, no, this is too hot. And then I continued to eat it for several days. But yeah, yeah. While in agonizing yeah. pain. Well, I thought it was something else. I thought like maybe like I, cause you know, I have like stomach issues. So like I thought it was, I thought yeah. like maybe one of the supplements that I had started was messing up my stomach. So like I was cutting those out and it was still hurting. And I was like, oh, well maybe it's like, maybe it's like a delayed onset or something. But then a couple of days ago, I, I, I didn't, I didn't take any supplements at all. And I end up eating the uh, I end up eating the barbacoa like really early in the day because I, I decided to come home early from work, and uh, so, so I <clears throat> so I ate it really early in the day, and then like mm. I was like oh my god like only like four hours because normally I eat like three three hours two hours before I go to bed, so mm-hmm. like only a couple of hours after I ate it I was like holy crap literally. And then, and I was like, okay, so this is clearly what the problem is. The problem is that I made this barbacoa way too spicy and it's not good for my stomach. So, yeah, so that's, that's the story. I don't know. I don't know what I would have paired with that because it was just too spicy to pair with anything. An acidic white. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you mean. Like, and, and that's the thing is like, and that's what I was saying is like, you can't start pairing wine or beer or anything with foods that you don't normally yeah. eat. You can look up pairings online, have them once or twice. That's not a problem. But like, if you're just like, oh, I never make this, you know, stomach hole burning barbacoa every week. Yeah. Like if you make it every week, yeah, pair it with something. But if you you make it once, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like you're you're going to have a bad experience and that's the thing that like a lot of people run into with wine is like they have these bad experiences and then they're just like oh wine's bad it's like no 
you you bought Gewurztraminer and then you were eating like you know greasy fish. Yeah, it's like these don't go together. Right. Like you had this really sweet dessert wine with a greasy fish that wasn't well cooked. You've never had before. Yeah. Like my mom's like preannual preannual Thanksgiving thing is to try to make corn pudding, but she doesn't start practicing ahead of time. She finds a recipe and tries to make it like the day before. Huh. And routinely forgets an ingredient at the grocery store. Oh. <laughs> and doesn't stop and then go get the ingredient or send my dad out, my brother, somebody to get the ingredient. She just tries to make do and it's like, oh, it doesn't taste that good. Yeah. Like, if I tried to build the building and I forgot, like, oh, I just forgot the air conditioning. <laughs> like, you wouldn't want to live in yeah. it. <laughs> this is, you know, key ingredient. You know, and like, good on her for trying something new, but like, you can't then be like, well, it wasn't good, so I'm never going to do it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you did you follow the recipe 100? percent No. Okay. Well, then it, you don't know. I think the I think the Thanksgiving that Ma- that Nate and I came over to with uh, at your mom and dad's house was uh-huh. uh, she made a pretty good corn pudding. Yeah, and that's the thing is several times she's made a okay one. Why didn't she just make the good like, one, like the one that she made the time before, if it was good? Because because there was something wrong with it in her. Oh, mind. okay. And, and this thing, I don't eat it, so I don't really care. Okay. But my problem is, and this is something that Ashley does a lot, is like I pick out a recipe and I ask her to make it. And she makes an approximation of it. Okay. Yeah. It's like, no, I asked you to make this. If you aren't willing to make this, tell me, and then I will cook. Right. Because I will make exactly this. Okay. All right. Well, it makes sense. I will follow the instructions 100%. And then if it's terrible, I'll be like, yes, this was bad. I should have modified it when I thought, oh, this many tablespoons of salt? Terrible. Like, no, but I followed the recipe exactly. So when it's bad, I know it's because the recipe isn't good and not because I screwed up. Yeah. But, you know, that neither here nor there. So we're Tasting Anarchy. If you like what we uh, do, you can follow us on Twitter, tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy at gmail.com, or the uh, one and only Childerberg, childerberg.com. Um, and it's literally chill, Berg, you know. Yeah. It, it's, there's no science to yeah. it. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> so. people have been getting it wrong, so we should probably spell it out. It, it, it is a little bit different, so it's uh, chill as in C-H-I-L-L. C-H-I-L-L, and then Der Berg is D-E-R-B-U-R-G. The the U is what people seem to be getting wrong. They keep putting E. Yeah, like iceberg. Yeah, exactly. Like chill iceberg. Yeah, yeah. so chill Der Berg. So, so, uh, so anybody who wants to look that up, you can go to chillderberg.com. We got t-shirts for sale, although probably when this airs, they will be not for sale anymore. And No, uh, we got until the 8th. Yep, yep, until the 8th. <laughs> Unless eighth. we sell the remainder. Right, which uh, I'm going to start posting that today, that uh, we will stop selling these shirts on the 8th, and then I have a, you know, I'll go ahead and announce that here because it's going to be at that time. We have a new logo coming out, but it's not going to be available in standard shirts. It's only going to be available in VIP packages, Mm. Uh, and so what the VIP packages will be, I will be announcing at a future date, but right now... Their new this logo will be retired. There will be no more Childerberg logo uh, or Investigate Childerberg logo available on regular T-shirts. It will only be available in the VIP package. Um, 
that's like that's my artificial scarcity that I'm trying to <laughs> start up. <laughs> that's not artificial. That's real. Well, I guess it is real, yeah, because like it's up to me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So that that's the way that that's going to work. So um, just remember, everybody, Childeberg. It's a great event. I don't mind putting it on out of my own pocket, but it makes it a lot easier to make the event better if you buy the shirts or donate over at Childeberg.com. Yes. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Do you have anything else, Mason? No. All right, everybody, stay free. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Horton sherry. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine.